Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm really excited to talk with our guest today. Kimberly Sundell is a piano teacher, adjudicator, and examiner for the Royal Conservatory of Music with an ARCT in pedagogy and performance diplomas and an MA in piano pedagogy from the University of Ottawa Piano Pedagogy Laboratory. She is also a certified sommelier with a WSET 3 and a Wine Scholar Guild Champagne Master's Certification. On a study trip in Champagne, Sendel was introduced to Krug's wine and music pairings. She then discovered Oxford University's cross-modal research lab and its studies into multi-sensory perceptions, how the senses interact and influence each other. Using these studies, she developed the sound of wine pairings with the aim to be much more than just drinking wine while listening to music. These unique and educational experiences blend the experience of a recital and a wine tasting. Welcome, Kimberly. It's so good to be speaking with you today. Thank you, Olivia. I'm so excited to be doing this. Thank you so much for asking me. It's going to be really fun. So just to give our audience fair warning, it's going to be a different kind of episode. We're going to be talking about music and wine pairings. So Kimberly, I always start off my interviews with the same question, and that is, how did you become a musician? What is the origin story? Well, like a lot of your previous guests, I started at a younger age. I started playing piano when I was five. My great grandmother was actually a piano teacher too. So when she emigrated from England, that's where she had most of her training. She actually started teaching through what would have been the University of Toronto curriculum then, which then segued into Royal Conservatory. So I think probably that is why my parents put me in it. Also, I do know that my grade one teacher suggested piano might help my printing. I still can't print very well, but I can play the piano. So I guess that's a good side benefit of that. I continued with piano all the way through festivals, exams. I started playing flute in high school. And when I was about in grade 10, I started um, driving once a week to Brandon, Manitoba, which was an hour away from my small town to start studying with a teacher there Mm -hmm. and entered Brandon University at that point with the thoughts of being a band teacher. And eventually I had to stop studying then life reasons and then went back and actually finished my bachelor of education. But after doing some of the in-school teaching, I realized, you know what, I like the one-on-one and I like the piano. So I just started doing that full time and I've been doing that for ever since. And what I also realized I like about it too is school teaching, you get to see them every day for a year to grow. But piano teachers, we have something special. We get to see them once a week, yes, but for years. So we actually get to see them to grow to their adulthood. And that's one of the really fulfilling things that I've been enjoying teaching. Hearing you say that story, that that was a similar story to me was when I was doing my practicum and stuff. I was like, you know what? I really love the one-on-one, especially for students, kids with uh, different needs as well, like neurodiverse students. And I just loved that I could tailor make a lesson plan for them that didn't have to fit anybody else's schedule. Exactly. And you can, you can feel like you're actually making a difference for them, which is nice. And in this day and age too, sometimes we are the only one-on-one time they get during that day too, because we're just all so busy. So I like having that feeling too, that they can actually have somebody who's just focused on them as well. Yeah. I love that. So I know you are an incredible pianist and teacher, but one of the main reasons I had you on today is to talk about music and wine pairing. So how did you come about this pairing? 
Well, I am also a certified sommelier, which is a wine specialist. When I moved here from Manitoba to do my master's degree in piano pedagogy at U of O, I was reading in, I think it was like the Metro, you know, those small little papers that you pick up somewhere. And they were talking about the program at Algonquin. It was like, okay, well, I'm interested in wine and this would be a nice way to meet people and to get away from all the Excel charts I was doing for my thesis at that time. (laughs) which I know you completely understand, right? <laughs> yeah, so I started taking just a couple of the introductory courses there and I was like, okay, this this is very interesting. So I went through and actually completed the entire sommelier program. And then I went a little bit further than that. And I also have some certification from WSET, which is the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, which is an internationally recognized certification. Then I also went a little bit further and went into the Wine Scholar Guild, and I actually have a master's certification specializing in champagne, which is my true love, the champagne. I will gravitate towards that. (laughs) So yeah, so I went up with that. And then part of the Wine Scholar Guild is they have a uh, study tour that you can go on. So my fiance and I, we actually both went on this tour spent a lovely three or four days in champagne touring and it was there that our um, leader told us about krug krug champagne is actually very involved with music and wine pairings to the point where they actually have this year in particular a piece specially composed for this vintage of champagne oh wow so i'm like oh really okay so i came back and from that trip that was 2017 and delved a little further and then that's when i discovered oxford university actually has a whole research lab devoted to this it's called the multi-sensory laboratory so what the whole concept is all of your senses are working together when you're creating an experience so that might be why if you are out at a restaurant or a winery let's say you have this lovely bottle of wine and it's fantastic you get one and you bring it home and it's not quite the same it's because whatever was happening at that moment who you were with what you were hearing what you were seeing the wine you were tasting everything is working together so that really piqued my interest too because music is so multi-sensory and changing and Music and wine are actually a very good pairing because they're both alive, really. When you think about live music, you're taking in the audience as well as what's happening on the stage, all of that. And wine is actually living in the bottle too. It's evolving and changing as it's as it spends time in the bottle. Air affects it, things like that. So these two living things working together, they just pair together so well. So I was just hooked. That was it. It's like, okay, I need to try this. Just combines your two uh, interests. Oh, completely. Yeah. So first I started out with just recorded music because, mm-hmm. you know, busy teaching and everything like that. And then pandemic hit. <laughs> and that's when I started doing the playing ones for myself. Oh, that's so great. So you run these events now called The Sound of Wine. So could you tell us more about those? How did they get started and what happens at a Sound of Wine event? So my whole goal with this, it's really blending a recital and a wine tasting experience because you're getting all levels of education of both sides. So I want to provide more of the educational part on both the wine and the music you're listening to, because that also helps with the experience too, to know what you're looking for. Mm. 
the first live one I did was uh, fall of 2019 at the Steinway Gallery. Okay, so yeah. Jennifer Messer, you know how supportive she is of oh, everybody in Ottawa. She thought this was fantastic too. So we just did a very small little one to see what interest would be. I think we were about a dozen people maybe. We just got some local students to play that take part in the regular Steinway Gallery events. Mm -hmm. And they performed and I selected the wines and told people why I picked them. So that is probably something I should go through to go with that because it is actually really scientifically done. I'm not just thinking, oh, this will this will work together. But so I usually go in steps. They kind of all work together at the same time. But the first thing I look at is the structure of the piece. Mm -hmm. So is it more flowing legato? Is it more crisply articulated? Is there a lot of passage work? I listen to the compositional style. Is it really big and lush? Full of rich chords is it a little bit more austere sounding like contrapuntal things like that so that's really what gets me started because then i'll go all right do i want a sparkling wine with this do i want a still or even do i want a sweet wine with this because in the mouth each of those feels very different and that's the wine structure and then I will jump off and I go into colors. We're always talking about how music has colors. Absolutely. I try to think, all right, does this piece sound like it's like a rich ruby red? Is it more of a golden yellow? Is it more like a watermelon rosé color? We even have orange wines. So is it like a mango orange kind of thing? Yeah. And then wine, when you're talking of fruit, You'll talk a lot about whether it has the fresh fruit or the dried fruit too. So I also take that into consideration. Does it actually feel more like fresh fruit or is it dried fruits like figs or prunes or raisins or things like that? And that gives me a hint of, again, whether I want to go into a red, a white or a rosé or even the orange wine, which is a creature unto itself. But an orange wine is, it's actually a white wine that has spent time on the skin which is not usual. You do that for red wines, which is what gives you the rich color. So the white wines, when they sit on the skins, they actually get the perception of the red wine, the tannins. Mm. So when you're having the tannins in the wine, think of if you're drinking like a really strongly steeped tea, you know that dried feeling? Or if you're biting a banana peel, that's a good way to test for tannins. <laughs> so the orange wine gives a very interest contrast too, because you're getting like the sense of the white wine, but the feel of the red wine in the mouth. And then I start going into what grape varietal will have those, because every grape type has a very specific set of taste profiles that you're going to be addressing. So a Pinot Noir will have a different set of tasting notes from a Cab Sauve and things like that. So I will look and see which fruits I'm sensing in the piece. I go in with the wines and then comes the fun part, the drinking homework. <laughs> so I will pull out a set of few bottles of different types just to see what is actually going along well with it. Thank goodness for these little contraptions that will just stick a needle through the cork so you can just take a tasting sample out because sometimes I am trying like four or five, six wines for each piece. I've had ones where I think, oh, this will work fantastic. And I try it and I say, oh no. All right, on to the next one. That did not work so well. <laughs> also what I do at the tastings is I always have two wines side by side when we're doing the tastings. When you're doing wine education classes, that's a lot of what you do. You are actually tasting things side by side because even if you're tasting the same grape, let's say a Chardonnay, depending where it's made, like colder climate like Canada to a hotter climate like California, mm -hmm. all things like that, the type of soil they can be on, tasting side by side, you get to see what the 
differences are. So I think that's a very important part of doing these. So I might have two different types of the same wine or a Chardonnay and something like a Viognay which is very similar in fruit and weight in the mouth, but are two completely different grapes. And Viognay is not known as well. So I also like that aspect too, introducing people into things that they haven't had yet. Yeah. So then I just encourage them to just take their time to smell it and slowly taste it throughout the piece. Because as we hit the different sections too, you're going to notice different things popping out. I love that. That's so interesting because, I mean, we talk about texture and color and shading with our students all the time, right? And, you know, there are obviously great pairings that can go with that. That's so great. So throughout the year, I know you also do these Instagram uh, video series with wine pairings and different holiday music. So I know last year you did an Advent music and wine session. You've done one during Women's History Month as well. And can you tell us more about those pairings? Does it work the same way as you're doing the the Sound of Wine events? Yeah, it, do, it does exactly the same way. So I was really wanting to do more live with this, but then of course pandemic hit. Right. So that's really where it was like, okay, I've actually got well, time to do this because we're not going anywhere. So the first one, I actually did Canada Music. Oh, right. So 2020 and 2021, I did both the full week of Canada Music Week. So the whole goal of that was to do Canadian pieces and Canadian wines. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of fun because we do have a really thriving wine industry across Canada. Yes. We're not quite as known internationally, unfortunately, but we're working on it. But same with music, right? This is true. <laughs> so I actually started with that. And then I did the advent calendar. It is all the same processes doing it. So it's just, it's also a good way to keep me playing too. Like I am firmly based in the teaching. I don't perform a lot anymore. So this was my way of, you know what? I really need to get back into this. So, and as being a very, very nervous performer, this was a safer way to put it out there because it's just these little clips. I can video it. I did have to wean myself off doing that. Okay. You know what? Do not do 25 takes for yeah. each one. Yeah. What it is, is what it's going to be. And there we go. So yeah, that first one, once I got to about day 12, I think it was like, oh my goodness, what did, what was I thinking doing all of this? But it was <laughs> such fun. It really was. So then throughout the year, it's things like composers birthdays definitely the women's day because then i also want to feature women winemakers too mm -hmm. which again are vastly underrepresented in the wine industry during the pandemic i actually did a very interesting project with an instagram friend that i met she was actually originally from ottawa but has been living in paris for the past 30 years her name is cynthia coteau and if you're looking for her on instagram she goes by delectables so okay. b-u-l-l-e-s at the end for bubbles and she actually runs a fantastic program featuring women winemakers in the Champagne region. Oh. So she's been doing a lot of fantastic online workshops. If you're really interested in bubbles and want to find out more, you have to check out her Bubbly Badass series. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. She's a fantastic presenter. And she also does a lot of tours in the Champagne area as well. So she was doing a virtual gala with the Palm Springs Opera Guild. Okay. So her challenge was pick champagne that would match with an entire opera. Oh, wow. That was an interesting challenge because I'd just been doing the smaller pieces. So of course, I just went full dive into this. So I actually did three of them. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, yeah. So trying three different bottles of champagne with each opera just to see how it would go. So yeah, that, that was a 
long fun weekend i must say <laughs> so i did carmen and the magic flute and la traviata and found champagnes that would match with all of them the one that went overall um was the best received was carmen and the veuve clicot rosé okay when you have a mezzo-soprano heroine you must have a rosé yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the challenge was just finding something that had the depth to match with the orchestration the different voices you have plus the different ensemble work you have as well so one of the things things that's interesting about champagne, especially something like when you see just the regular label is this is a blend of up to 400 wines to pick from so it's all about the blend when you're having those and the goal is to have that house style consistently the same year after year that's really what champagne is known for the different vintages the years or the little special ones that's not actually what the house bases themselves on. So finding something that had a blend of a lot of different years of wines, a lot of different vineyards, like they can all taste very different too. So that was fascinating. Veuve has a lot of very old wine in it. So I found that it had the balance to match with all of that stuff. So that was also a fascinating project too. I have done a couple of events for the Honens International Piano Competition. Mm -hmm. I've joined their board of directors in May. So the first one I did for them was an online one that was May of 2021. So we did a music and a food and a wine pairing. Mm. So we had one of our previous winners, Catherine Chi, performing. I was doing the wine pairings and Nicole Gomes was the chef. She actually won a season of Top Chef Canada. So that was fantastic. So we're all on Zoom and Nicole is walking us through what we're cooking and I'm taking us through the wines. And then Kathy had prepared videos of herself performing and it made for a really fascinating evening. Yeah. And, and that's so cool that you were able to do that virtually as well. That's really neat. Yeah. So it was a fantastic way just to bring the whole Honan's family together yeah. and keep music going. Because I mean, Zoom is fantastic. It was good for keeping us going with things like that. So as much as it's not optimal, it did give us a chance to do a lot of things that we wouldn't have otherwise. Like exactly. I did a lot of tasting sessions or piano masterclasses, educational things that mm -hmm. I wouldn't have otherwise, because these were also people who couldn't do things in person that they were used to. So they were also forced to step outside the box. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad to be going back to live things. We just did a Honan's event here in Ottawa at the beginning of November to introduce our new competition winner, Elia. So that was at, at the Rideau Club here and I did the wine and Elia was playing and it was fantastic. Just feeling the energy and how everybody was interacting with everything. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. And it's so good to be able to be back in person to do things like that. But then again, like you were saying, it gave us the opportunity to connect with people that we maybe may have never connected with. You know, I've been able to connect with musicians all over the world that I wouldn't have been able to had there not been a, thing, a pandemic and people forced to be online. Exactly. And also, I think a lot of people got to explore their own passion projects too. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. with your book, Loud and Clear, which is fantastic by the way I'm using it yes. all the time <laughs> it gave a lot of performers I think a chance to do things like go off into their own things and yes. so many things were coming out children's books are being written and mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. are performing and digging into finding all these obscure scores for women yes. too pros and cons right you got to yes. look at it the bright side and not just <laughs> I can't go outdoors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had to find our, our, our passion project. Loud and Clear was written entirely in the pandemic. The day that we hit lockdown, I started working on it and it was released 
October 2021. So, you know, it it really did open up some opportunities to get some things done that might not have been done during the pandemic. Although I'm really glad that we're starting to shift back to in person and be able to have all the wonderful things that we missed. So I was curious when you're talking about the music and wine pairings, do you ever find that countries, perhaps wines from Germany paired with Bach or something, do you ever find that? I know you had mentioned Canada Music Week, or do you find that you actually pull from around the world. I do definitely do that too, because it is definitely a thing when you're talking about food and wine pairings, mm-hmm. like goes with like. So yeah. I mean, you have Tuscany and tomatoes, like so wines from Tuscany go fantastic with pasta because they're yeah. like and like. So I definitely do that. It just really all depends on the wine, like because you can get similar climates and similar aspects from different areas of the countries too, but I definitely do a selection of different places just to see Mm -hmm. what's actually happening with that piece because composers got lots of inspiration from other places too. So we're all just drawing on the whole big wide world. Yeah, I love it. So as folks are gearing up for the holidays, I thought it would be fun to give some suggestions for different wines to give as gifts. So I was wondering, could you give us some options for reds, whites, and sparklings? And I will link everything in the show notes so that people can go and purchase them. What are some of your top suggestions? What I did is I went through and I picked ones that I have used multiple times in pairings because they're relatively accessible wherever you are and they're also more pocketbook friendly too because mm-hmm. not everybody is goes as deep dive into wine as my fiance and I, yeah. and I do so I was very respectful of that so one red I use is the Google Cote de Rhone so it's a French wine from the northern Rhone region and I just find that it's lovely lush red fruits it's got a bit of tartness to it which is nice with with foods and it's also got a really nice rich feel so that one is really good for a red for a white i chose a chardonnay from california called Mersole. it's also one that i've used a lot it i had featured in the honans the online one definitely it went really well with the fish dish we actually did and sparkling i chose two because champagne can only be called champagne if it's from the region that's right sparkling wine people are very emphatic about this you can only call it there everything else has to be called sparkling wine so there's our other educational aspect <laughs> yes. of it. so the sparkling wine one that i've used a lot of is from the niagara region it's from the winery henry of pelham and it's their cuvee catherine and i tend to buy the rosé rosé is fantastic with food it's very very food friendly with all sorts of things so that is one i think everybody would really enjoy and as for the champagne as i was previously talking about the vive clicquot rosé it's also a lovely one and it's a very accessible champagne too because sparkling wine you can either really love it or hate it at first it kind of takes a little bit to get used to because it is such a different experience with it and rosé you have to have a rosé as well so i chose whispering angel that's a very lovely, accessible one. And oh, here's another educational thing. Rosé is not just a summer wine. Keep <laughs> it in the cellar year round because you're going to love it with a lot of different foods. Right. So do you have a favorite food, wine, music pairing that you particularly love at the holidays? I stayed focused on thinking of Christmas dinner for everybody. Ooh. So when you're thinking of matching Christmas dinner, it's really all about the side dishes. We all tend to have turkey and ham. They're fairly neutral. They're really just a transport for all the other stuff, really. Yeah. <laughs> so 
like mashed potatoes is a transport for the gravy, right? That's yeah. what they're for. <laughs> so something like the mashed potatoes or sweet potatoes or things like that, that's where the Chardonnay or the Viognay go really, really nicely with it. They've got rich, lush tropical fruits. It's a nice full mouth feel. So it's echoing the nice, rich, thick texture of these mashed dishes and the sweet characteristics that come through from those vegetables. Mm -hmm. If you've got more fruit-based things, like maybe you've done a fruit glaze on the ham or the turkey or cranberry sauce, of course, anything mm -hmm. like that, a rosé or a Pinot Noir go really nicely with that because they're a lighter bodied, so they're not going to overpower the turkey. Yeah. You never want things to fight with each other. And it goes really nicely with the ham texture too, because they're not heavy, heavy meats like a steak. And they're also going to highlight all of the fruit that's your taste that are coming through in your side dishes. If you're doing um, the desserts, definitely look at sweet wines. Sweet wines are very overlooked. It particularly, I would suggest something like a late harvest. So what that means is the grapes are left to hang on the vine longer, so they dehydrate a bit. And that's intensifying the fruit flavors and the sweetness, but it's not quite as intense as ice wine. I know Canada is really known for its ice wine, but ice wine is intense. It's strong. Like, yeah. It's really, really sweet. And that's not what a lot of people want. So like a the late harvest or a sauternes that's a region that is doing sweet wines too and because they have a crisper acidity they don't come across as sweet or if you want something to go with your chocolate and your nuts you should definitely look for a port okay or a, a scotch goes lovely with that too but <laughs> there's just a whole gamut that you can just look at with other than just wines too so yeah we usually have quite a few bottles spread out whenever yeah. we're yeah. pairing with our christmas dinner just to, you know it's nice to have options too whenever we're having dinner we actually do the same thing usually regularly as we do with the wine education or the sound of wine we'll have a couple of different wines just to see what's going with what we've cooked that night even glassware makes a huge difference right tell us more Glasses about that are Glasses are all different shapes and sizes, and they're created that way to bring the aromas for each wine to bring it out in the best way they're going to present themselves. And they're also shaped to land on the optimal part of your tongue as well for when you're tasting it. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. So if, since we're talking about bubbles, which is my love, of course, lutes are actually not the best thing to drink your your bubbles out of it's intensifying all of the bubbles and you're losing a lot of the aromas actually. So you'll see a lot of the tulip shaped ones, they mm -hmm. kind of flare out mm -hmm. and then narrow a bit. So it's pushing all the fruit flavors up while still letting the bubbles be a part of it as well. You'll find the bigger rounder ones like this are good for the red wines because mm -hmm. they need a lot of room for the air to circulate in them. White wines tend to be a little smaller in shape because just the way the white fruits and yellow fruits are hitting your nose as opposed to the red fruits are different too. So yeah, when we learned this in our sommelier studies, because my fiance is actually a certified sommelier as well, um, one of the local stores came in and gave us this array of glasses to try things. It's like, yeah, no, this is just this is just to sell glassware. But then it's like, oh, wait a minute, this this actually is a thing, and it adds into the multisensory because you get this lovely array of glassware too. So visually, drinking out of a gorgeous glass just adds to the experience as well. 
Oh, that's so interesting. So I thought to kind of end our episode, it would be fun to do a bit of a music pairing for our listeners. So I'm going to list some holiday songs. And I wonder if you could suggest to pair a wine with them. And for everyone, I did give these to Kimberly in advance. I'm not throwing them on her last minute. So what about the Christmas song or chestnuts roasting on an open fire? This is one that I actually have done a couple times in my advent calendar. So this arrangement, it's rich and lush and you've got those full gorgeous chords and the long flowing melodic lines. So I went with a nice, rich, voluptuous wine like a Merlot. That worked really well, just with the the dark fruits and the fuller mouthfeel, the smoother tannins. Merlot is usually quite elegant that way. So it just works really well with that piece. That's great. Okay, 12 days of Christmas. This one was challenging because it's it's long, it's got the repetitive patterns, but it's the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, I want a wine that is vibrant and light because that's the whole character of the piece. It's got to have some consistency going through because you're not having a lot of different melodic things happening. Mm-hmm. So I came up with an off-dry Riesling, which is a very food-friendly one as well. But off-dry means there's a little more residual sugar in it. So it's coming across as sweet, but it's not a sweet wine. So this one I could see working really well with that. It's just a very lovely, easy drink drinking glass, very lovely, easy little piece to listen to. What about Silent Night? Another one that I did as well. And the particular version I had was a more in-depth arrangement of it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a bigger red wine, like a a Cabernet Franc is what I chose with that. So it has a lot of red and dark fruits as well. And it comes across as a little more tannic than what a Cab Sauve does. A Cab Sauve can be very big and rich fruity, depending where it's from. The Cab Franc has a little bit more of a capsicum green pepper taste to it so it's got a freshness to it that also really reflected the melodic line of it because it's got some wider leaps to it so it needs to have a little bit more of that freshness to it to accentuate that oh i love that okay joy to the world joy to the world well i mean bubbles yeah right? <laughs> gotta be bubbles yeah so again i would probably do probably a rosé bubbles with this either a sparkling wine or a champagne just because it does have usually the richer harmonies in it but it's also the articulations too right Mm -hmm. you got that descending scale and you got those little repeated passages so the bubbles just naturally spoke to me for that one ah cool and holly jolly christmas this one I, I had to sit and listen to it a little bit. So I gravitated onto Michael Bublé's because, yep. so it's like, okay, so it's lively. It's got some depth to it, but it didn't really speak a big red wine to me. So it actually spoke a sweet wine to me. Hmm. The late harvest or the, the sweet wine that I was talking about, because they've got the depth, but they've got the acidity that matched well with the quicker rhythms with it and just the lightheartedness as well. So that's what I gravitated to. So that was my project last night. I was listening to Michael Buble on repeat. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Okay. I love that. And just for everyone listening, everything will be linked in the show notes so that you can go and check those out for your holidays. Well, it's been a real pleasure getting to chat with you. We're going to wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions, which is what I've been doing this season. No wrong answers. Just go with your gut. Could you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician? That would be in high school. That would have been grade 11. This was my second year with my teacher in Brandon, Sister Joan. She was teaching at the university as well. And she gave me the Schumann 
romance in Fshar. I connected to that piece in a way I had never connected to anything before. And that's when I just knew, oh, that's it. And that's that piece is, is special because years later I was I'd had to take a break from studies and I was getting back into it. And the person who adjudicated me when I played it in Verdon Festival adjudicated me again about five or six years later. I wasn't even under my maiden name at that time. I happened to be married at that time. And she looked at the piece because I was just playing it again to get back into it. She looked at the piece and she looked at me and she goes, I remember you. You played that in Verdon and it was fantastic. So it was like, okay, all right, I've, I've chosen the right path. Even though there's been yes. some road bumps in the way this is worth it so and I actually ended up when and going to study with her this is um Karen Whitlaw Hebert out of Winnipeg I actually okay, went and yes. all my ARCT work with her oh that's great I think you just answered my my next question but favorite piece or song to perform that one uh, the Christmas ones I'll stick with my Christmas theme yeah. the two that I have to play every year in the bleak midwinter mm. and have yourself a merry little Christmas in the bleak midwinter is one of my favorites. It's just so beautiful. Jamie Cullum, he is an English jazz pianist. Okay. And he did this fantastic thing with In the Bleak Midwinter. So in December 2020, with this song, In the Bleak Midwinter, he wanted to break the Guinness World Record for the largest online lesson of this. And he did it. The arrangement is stunning. I was listening to it again last night and it makes me cry each time I listen to it. There's just something about it and something about his voice because he's got this whiskey rasp that goes to it that, mm -hmm. that just adds this depth. So you need to go and look at that one on YouTube because and just follow along with what he did because I haven't actually been able to find the number of how many, but like it was multiple schools that were signed up for this. So the video, you've got these little kids, you've got these professionals, you've got special needs kids doing it. And it's just so. I'm going to go look for that right now. Right after we sign off, that's <laughs> have you ever been given bad career advice? What was it? I don't know if it's bad career advice, but it's something that every musician encounters but the home play for us we can't pay you anything but just think of all the free publicity you get mm. okay so i'm going to practice for how many hours and come and do this mm -hmm. and so no so not so much i know we've all done it because we've yeah. all you know what oh well it's a good cause <laughs> my friend okay fine i'll do it but it's an easy trap to get into isn't it it is. It really is. I remember in my first year university, I played for the cost of a meal, I think. And I think that was the last time I did that because I was, this was not worth it. <laughs> no, it really is not. But that, that would be mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's some good musical or career advice you can pass on to up and coming musicians? That was interesting. I sat and thought about this for a little bit. And there's two things over my 30 years of teaching. Make sure you value yourself and your time. Mm. It's very hard when you're starting out because if you were like me, I did all of my studies after I got divorced. So all of my university degrees, all my ICTs, I did all that on a single piano teacher salary. So Mm -hmm. You take everybody. I mean, music is for everybody, but not everybody wants to be music. So, yes. <laughs> and making sure that you set those boundaries there, that you're not just always ending up being the last thing like, oh, we can't come because we have hockey. Can you teach us on Sunday? We've all done that too, right? Because we're, let's face it, we're afraid of sometimes losing students, which means we're losing our income. So we bend, which means we end up breaking our time that we need to refresh ourselves and to do our own things. So that took a lot of years to be able to get out of that mindset to just say, no, I'm sorry. And if that's not what's going to work for you, then okay, so be it. 
Mm-hmm. That will leave room for somebody who wants me and I can help because they're there to learn. And the other thing I would say it's killing perfectionism. Yep. I look back now and I think of how many times I didn't perform as much as I could because there's such an onus on classical music. You must be perfect to perform. Everything else is worthless. So that was really hard when I was starting the advent calendar because that's why I was doing the multiple takes because it's, it's got to be perfect. People are going to be judging me who know piano. But then I came across um, Michelle Lynn instagram and she was doing this whole thing on killing perfectionism so it's like you know what we've got to get over this because it's about sharing the music it doesn't have to be perfect mm-hmm. so watching her a few times so she actually really helped me okay i can do this mm-hmm. advent calendar i'm going to do this and if there's a couple little blorps so be it i fully acknowledge i am much more confident as a teacher than a performer which I actually also think makes me a really good teacher because I know what it's like not to have it just come naturally. I have to work at it yeah. and I'm never going to play perfectly because how my nervousness manifests is I get messy. Yes. Yeah. Like, but at least I'm sharing my music. Absolutely. To go back to Jamie Cullum, he does something, the same idea. It's called the Song Society, if you look on it for his YouTube. So he and his band, they pick a song, like a current one. Mm-hmm. They learn it within an hour and then they record it. Fine. And, it, and I mean, the interpretations and covers he does of some of these songs, oh my word, they will just blow your mind. They're just fantastic. So you need to go look for that too. But that's also a big part of the killing perfectionism, right? It's we just have to get over that and just share the music. Competition world is a different beast. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's not It's not for all of us, but we see all that mm-hmm. and we expect ourselves to be like that too. But that's just not all of us. Yeah, that's great. What music are you listening to right now? Going back to Jamie Cullum again. Yeah. <laughs> he has has uh, a Christmas album called The Piano Man at Christmas. Okay. And what I like about this one is, yes, it's some covers, but he has, also does a lot of original things. So that's nice. Like Christmas music is great, and but there's not a lot of new stuff coming out. It's yeah. the same ones coming out. It's like, okay, this is, this is an interesting take on it, but there's only so many times you really want to listen to Park the Herald Angel Singer, whichever that, right? Extra-wise, what I've been doing is the Honan's competition had a specially commissioned piece by Stuart Goodyear. Oh. Canadian composer. Yes. So I've been listening to that from all 10 semifinalists because it's fascinating to hear. We're used to, some of us are used to festivals having test pieces where it's the same thing played by, you know, 20 kids. They're playing Big Teddy, Little Teddy by Linda (laughs) Nana. I know I've examined a fest or judged a festival like that. So, but it's fascinating hearing the same piece at such a high level. Mm-hmm. And you can hearing the different interpretations and how their different personalities are coming through. It's fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. I've never been a huge fan of the test piece, but this has been an interesting experience. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's so cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on Loud and Clear. Thank you for sharing your music and wine pairings with us. Can you let our audience know where they can find you and hear about all the amazing things you're doing? I tend to do most of my things on Instagram. That just seems to be the easiest place yes. to reach out to a broad audience. Mm-hmm. So I am Blancs and Noirs. Yeah. So a type of champagne is Blanc and Noir, which is red and white grapes. But I mean, Blancs and Noirs matches with piano too, right? Yeah. So there we go. Mm-hmm. And my website is more just a teacher-based one. I do plan on getting one up for the Blancs and Noirs soon, but. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun talking with you. 
that is a wrap on our episode, The Sound of Wine with Kimberly Sundell. Thank you so much to Kimberly for coming on. And I really encourage you to go out and pick up a few of those bottles that Kimberly talked about and do some of your own Sound of Wine participation at your holiday gatherings. So I will have all of the wines linked in the show notes so you can take a look there to find out more and be sure to follow Kimberly online. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Make sure you head over to saskatoonsymphony.org to purchase tickets for upcoming shows. And if you don't live in the Saskatoon area, you can watch these shows via concert stream by following the link at the top of the website. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.